Side Hustle Show 239, How to Cultivate Creativity Like an Inventor. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you can be a creator or a consumer, but it's the creators that get paid. I've argued that creativity is the most important skill for entrepreneurs because before you can sell something, you've got to create that value proposition. The problem is, what if you're not creative? And honestly, this was me for almost 20 years. You've probably heard the argument that our education system systematically stamps out or suppresses creativity in kids. And I actually think there's some truth to that. Still, I think we all have this innate creative spirit, whether or not it's visible right now. It's just a matter of exercising that muscle and perhaps redefining what creativity means to you. To help school me on this, I invited a couple inventors on the program because who's more creative than an inventor, right? They're literally making ideas and products where nothing existed before. So in this episode, you're going to meet Stosh Stanley from Stosh Sports. actually spelled stash, S-T-A-S-H. She holds six patents, all related to products in the baseball and softball world and in footwear safety. And she's done all this on the side from her day job at the University of Virginia. You're also going to meet David Fidua, a serial inventor who's taken the product licensing route described by Stephen Key in episode 173 to earn passive royalty income from his product ideas. And he's actually done so well that Stephen has uh, brought him on to be an inventor mentor at inventright.com. So stick around to hear how they come up with their ideas, how to unleash the creativity inside your own head, and ultimately what to do with those ideas once you have them. Notes, links, and a free PDF highlight reel from this conversation are at sidehustlenation.com slash creative. Before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is the affordable small business accounting software for side hustlers and freelancers with invoicing and time tracking built right in. When it's time to get paid, think FreshBooks. And here's the deal. As a Side Hustle Show listener, you can get started with a 30-day trial absolutely free at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to get started with your 30-day free trial today. I'll be back to tell you a little bit more about FreshBooks, plus my top takeaways from chatting with Stosh and David after the interview. David's going to kick us off by dispelling the myth of the creative person. Ready? Let's do it. I never consider myself a creative person. You know, I was never, never into art, never into anything really creative. I was more of the business mind, spreadsheets are my thing. So when I was like, you know, 22, 23, I decided I want to be an inventor. And I realized this is this is something I got to work at. This is something I got to get better at. So I, I started to work out the creative muscle, I guess you could say, and started to develop products and figured out it was actually like a workout regimen for my mind and creativity that brought me to some of the products that has brought brought me some of the success that I have. Well, slow, slow down. So you say, okay, I've never considered myself a creative person. And then one day you decide at a young age, I want to be an inventor. Like that, where does, where does that come from? <laughs> you know, part of it is I like the idea of royalties as a lot of people would. You know, you sign on the dotted line and you can collect checks for, for years to come. And that was, that was one of the big driving forces is having that kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it a side hustle even, or I guess I would call it a side hustle, but basically a project that I could work on and get it to a point where somebody else then takes it over and I get paid for years to come. I mean, that was, that was, I think one of the bigger driving forces behind it. And I always had a fascination with inventions and, and new products and new innovation. And I guess I just wasn't necessarily good at it. <laughs> 
Okay, so David is approaching creativity from the standpoint of almost reverse engineering what he wants, royalty income from product licensing. Stosh took a different approach and found that her products, a padded glove to wear inside a regular baseball glove and a device to keep your shoelaces tied called Lace Locker, really stemmed from her own experiences and needs. The key to the creative process is doing something with the oh. There's something wrong. That doesn't make sense to me. This isn't working right. Or in my case, with my uh, stand mill mitt, my hand my, had nerve damage in my catching hand, and it was exploding with uh, contusions and bruises, and Ouch. it was making me, yeah, it was making my play be significantly impacted. And I, with lace locker, I literally face planted on the ground in the dark during my, my run one morning because I tripped on one of my shoelaces that had come loose. So I, I actually think we're more creative than we might give ourselves credit. But this can be tough if new product ideas aren't literally hitting you in the face. So I asked Tosh, well, what else can we do? And she recommended regressing to the sponge-like state of childhood. We're a sponge. We're a sponge to the environment. We're always... We're taking in all kinds of information, verbal cues, visual cues, olfactory cues, taste cues, tactile cues, all kinds of things because we're open to the possibilities. So I think we um, kind of bludgeon ourselves into less than total consciousness about our creative capabilities as we age because we just don't maintain that sense of total awe and amazement in learning about the things that are around us like we have as kids. There's definitely something to that because I find myself noticing things I never did before through the eyes of our son. Everything is new and exciting and different to him and he's taking it all in. Now, I'm not saying just to have a kid to be more creative and be more aware of everything around you because there is another path to take. David suggested that the path to a good idea was to have a lot of ideas. And being an analytical spreadsheet-minded guy like me, he made it a concrete goal to come up with a certain number of ideas per day, starting small and then gradually increasing it as those creative muscles improved. It was a process he compared to weightlifting. Lift 300 pounds, you start out where you're at and you incrementally increase. And so... I looked at my own mind as it's a muscle. So I just have to incrementally increase. And so this kind of reflects back into my systematic mindset. I said, all right, I'm going to start out and do three ideas on paper every day. So I got very comfortable there. And I do that for a week or two. And when, when you actually start out, when you sit down to put an idea on paper, it's like you get this mental block. Totally. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like you can have ideas all day, but then when you sit down to put it on paper, your mind goes blank. And one of the things I do to help out with that like blank moment is whenever you're trying to innovate from just a broad perspective, you sit down and say, I want to come up with a new business idea. Well, that's when your mind goes blank because there's too many options. So you break it down. So you have less to think about. I like to use a cutting board example, as in, I want to innovate the cutting board. And then I start looking at the cutting board and I say, all right, people don't want a cutting board. People don't want a knife. They want a chopped onion. And so how can I get them from a whole onion to a chopped onion? 
in this whole process in between was man-made. It's just what exists now. So why, why am I putting stipulations on a cutting board? You need to look more into the process of what's the goal. So trying to give yourself some constraints there, either based on the area of the house or the use case that there's something might be used for. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so when you put parameters on it, sitting down to say, all right, I got to think of all these ideas, or I just got to think of three ideas is very difficult. But when you say, all right, I got to figure out how to get an onion chopped, then you say, all right, you know, I've, I've got to have a blade pass through it in some way. And then you start to get creative there. And once you put yourself in a little box, you know, and, and the tighter that box gets, then the more capable you are of creating within that. And then your ideas are much more targeted. So then you do three a day. Okay. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. I'm trying to do the same thing, actually, one of my micro habits for this month. So we're doing the the merch by Amazon print on demand t-shirts. And so one of my micro habits for the month has come up with one new t-shirt idea. And it's the same thing when you sit down with that blank sheet of paper and try and come up with an idea. It's really, really hard because it's so broad. But if you say, okay, well, Father's Day is coming up. I need to come up with a Father's Day themed shirt or, you know, a a shirt for dads, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden it becomes quite a bit easier to do that. And you can see what else is out there. What else can you riff on? And even just looking around, you know, your own life or different sayings and stuff. Anything else or any other exercises or strategies? Still three ideas a day and making the habit of it every day. I think that's a great way to train the the muscle. And I really like that weightlifting analogy. Well, you're not going to go and bench 300 pounds on your first day out there, but you're going to incrementally get there. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what I did after the three ideas a day. Then I went to five and seven and 12. And I got so obsessed with that process of not, well, it was more, I was so focused on can I get to my goals that I actually stretched to the point where I was doing 50 ideas on paper a day. Wow. And what I realized what I had done to myself was it's like I, I had a a little apple seed and I put it in the ground and I watered it and the branches grew and the sun came in. And now I've grown this big apple tree that I can now go back out to and, and pick those apples or those thoughts right out of the air because my muscle or my brain has been now trained to kind of be able to think in those innovative ways and and those neural pathways and those synaptic nerves are, are there and they're, they're all built in. So it's really easy to go back to that mind state when you have built it up to that point. 
The cutting board and chopped onion example reminded me of a conversation with a friend recently who was telling me about the book, The Innovator's Dilemma. He said the book talked about how every product has a job and the same could be said for services as well. But it echoes the business idea generation tactic that Noah Kagan shared uh, on the podcast a couple weeks ago of writing down everything that sucks over the course of your day, over the course of your week, and then thinking of the products or services whose job it could be to solve those problems. Because if it sucks for you, it probably sucks for somebody else too. And then it's taking it back one layer, like the famous example of uh, the person who's buying a drill is really not buying a, a drill, they're really buying a hole. And they probably really don't care about the hole either. It's just a necessary step in whatever they're building. Well, if you don't know what problem you're trying to solve, you're never going to be able to come up with something because what is the something you're coming up supposed to do? Right. So, you know, like, that's why I say be observant. What is the problem that you're trying to solve? What around you doesn't feel right, look right, smell right, taste right? That's a great place to start. Some of the common advice would be, well, go on Amazon, look for a hot selling product and then read the, you know, one, two, three star reviews. Like what's wrong with this? Like how can I improve upon what's already out there? And you can as long, and if it's got a patent, you'll have to improve in a novel way that's not obvious from the patent that was issued. Okay. So it's not that you cannot improve upon a patented product, but I say it's got to be like an exponential improvement that is not apparent from what is disclosed in the patent. Okay. So it's not that you can't do it, but you know, a lot of people don't go through the patent process. Right. And and we should probably note that that's definitely not a requirement to bring a product to market. Nope, nope, nope. But if if you want to bring a product to market, it better be solving some kind of a problem for somebody. We're all in sales. I say this to people and they wrinkle their nose at me. (laughs) Yeah, we're all in sales. We're either selling self, product, or service. So if you want to make a killer product, find a killer problem. Okay, so let's say you found a killer problem and you think you have an innovative way to solve it. What happens next? Good ideas and bad ideas are feelings. And it's the, the most difficult part for inventors is that it's your feelings about your own idea. And when you create something, you value it way higher than everybody else. You know, when I started out, I'd look at my idea and be like, that's it. Like, that's the one I'm going to license and make millions off of. And I was just so excited. And Do you mind sharing what that was? So <laughs> this, uh, this one just came to mind. But I had an idea for, it was to water your Christmas tree. And I figured, and this was like early on inventor, and a lot of inventors actually do this. But I was like, all right, you know, there's, 300 million people in the United States and there's this many households. And if half of them buy my, my Christmas tree present watering system, then I'll be a millionaire. And so I was just totally exaggerating what could, could have actually happened. Okay. And it was a product that was basically a container that looked like a Christmas present and it had a tube over to the watering dish of the Christmas tree. And so you'd open up the, the present and pour it in and then the tube would basically drip feed into the the thing where the christmas tree was okay and so i spent weeks just preparing like marketing material and getting ready to pitch it and i went out and pitched it and the company just sent me a link back and i was like oh no what is this and so i ended up you know i 
apprehensively just clicked that link and boom, my invention had popped up. Somebody had done it years before and they're selling in the market and I just didn't do my research. Oh, okay. I was like, well, that sounds kind of like a good idea. Well, apparently it was because somebody else already did it. Yeah. And, and that was putting all this work and I failed because I didn't. And, and that's when kind of failure started to come out of my vocabulary and I started to realize I was onto something because in my sphere, in my world, I had never seen that product or I'd never experienced that product, but I was inventing something that somebody actually wants and sells now. And so I refocused my attention from I had failed to I'm onto something. I can invent things that people want. Yeah, because you arrived at it completely independently. So, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And here's the silliest part. So I, I did that again. I got so excited about a product because it was better than sliced bread and I was going to be a millionaire. So I went out and built the sell sheet and pitched it to companies and then they sent me a link. So I, you know, I'm <laughs> super hard headed in the fact that like, I just don't learn very quickly. <laughs> okay. But I, you know, after that, I've done my research ever since I haven't made that mistake again, just two times. All right. So, okay. Well, tell me about the research process that goes through now. So say you've got the next equivalent of the Christmas tree watering present. What does that research process look like to see if something exists on the market? And if something already exists, like, is that necessarily a nail in the coffin? No, it's not. The research process is, it's really simple. I mean, obviously it's, it's very simple once you've done it quite a few times, but when you create something inside your head, you label it as such. And I had a product, I called it the, the Chiller Puck, and it was a, a beverage cooling device. It's now the Arctic Can by Corksicle. Okay. So I, I had this Chiller Puck, and I had called it the Chiller Puck inside my head. And so every time I went out and did research, I'd do a Google search and find nobody has a Chiller Puck. And I never thought that that was just the marketing name that I'd given it. And so the first thing I have people do is I have them draw it out and show somebody else and have the other person describe what it is so that they can use those terms to search Google images, Google shopping, and then regular Google. And then if your product is not there or a variation of it, then you move to a Google patent search. The Google image search is the one that really can knock it out very quickly for me. If I think of an idea, I'll pull my phone out and I'll type in, I'll probably go through three or four different keywords, scan, you can scan a couple hundred Google photos in a couple minutes. And so you can really get a perspective on. So like if, if the listeners out there, if you have an, a hammer invention, go type in hammer into Google images. And within five minutes, you can view thousand hammers and you get a really good perspective on is my hammer out there or not. But then you just got to make sure you modify the search terms correctly. Okay. See, so, okay. Hammer with a, whatever attachment okay and to see what comes back mm -hmm. yeah so like one of the examples i've thought about is like a hammer that hits a nail straight every time or a hammer that the claw can pull out any nail and so you just use different search terms and you can go through so many hammers to see all right is this is it out there and you can pretty quickly detect if it is and and if it's not okay when you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the toughest parts about starting and growing your business is figuring out how to build relationships. As you know, people are more likely to buy from and do business with people they know, like, and trust. But when it comes to networking, where do you start? And what if you're more introverted like me? What if you're more wallflower than social butterfly? Well, there's a recent episode of a great podcast called This is Small Business that walks you through how to figure this stuff out. The episode is called How Networking Can Help You Build and Grow Your Business and Inside You'll learn practical tips on how to build business relationships that don't feel so transactional. A couple parts I liked in particular were how to break into those uh, tight little circles at networking events where you're kind of standing around awkwardly on the outside, and then what you should say in a follow-up email to somebody that you meet there. This is Small Business answers a ton of these questions that all entrepreneurs have, like how to use social media to grow your business, how to find your ideal price point, how to know when you're ready to launch your product, and tons more. So give it a follow. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. What happens if your image search comes back positive, but your patent search comes back negative? Like, okay, this is already out there, but it doesn't appear to be patented. The patent office and patents are an interesting thing because 97% of the patents in the patent office never generate more than the filing fee. And most products on the shelf don't have patents. So that tells me, all right, if most products out there don't have patents and most patents don't make money, what are patents for then? And it's not necessary that you need a patent to license a product. I've licensed two products myself that were unpatentable. Why were they unpatentable? Because there was existing prior art. So there was existing products out there. One of the products that I had licensed was a it was a dish towel hanger. And what I did was I brought them, the company, a different material to make it out of. Well, I mean, not really even a different material, but I I showed them because they the existing product they made had a stainless steel base and it was priced at $9.99. And I showed them a way to get it down to a $4.99 product. Okay. But there was nothing that was patentable on it because everything else had already been done. And so like, we'll license it from you. We'll pay you 5%. And they knew full well that there was no way anybody was getting a patent on it. And so it's not a needed thing. And patents are a difficult thing to understand sometimes because it's not that you can patent a whole device. It's typical that you have to patent a feature of the device. And so when you're going through that patenting process or you find a product that's similarly patented to yours, well, they're really probably patenting a feature of that. And if you modify the feature, then you have a completely new patent. And so if I don't find it on the market, 
but I do find it in the patents, I'm much more comfortable moving forward. But if I find it selling on the market and I don't find patents, then it's usually a product that I don't move forward with because it's hard to convince a company to pay you, hey, make this product that this other company's making. Next, I asked David about his pitch process. But as we're going through this, think about how you could apply this outside the world of physical products. So I'm I'm one of like the biggest like MVP, minimum viable product, execution, sell. And that's like my MO. And that's how I've become successful at this is because you can get stuck in, oh, you know, my product's got to be perfect. The pitch has got to be perfect. This, that, and the other thing. And it's just not that way. Like companies do not care what the pitch looks like. I mean, they obviously they want something professional that they understand, but you don't need lighting kits. You don't need DSLR cameras. You don't need all this stuff. You just basically, once you've done the research, you can determine, all right, this is a product I want to go forward with. Then we recommend filing. It's a PPA, provisional patent application. It gives you protection for one year. And then once you have it protected for that one year, you can go out and basically pitch them a sell sheet. And it's really crazy. I'll, I'll tell you this story. I had a product. It was a grill knob. And this grill knob, you know, when you're done cooking your food, you've got like the little bit of stuff on there. You turn the grill all the way up to burn it off. You end up forgetting about it. And then you walk back there the next day and your gas tank's empty and all that. And so an idea of a, a grill knob that spring loaded and closed after a time period. Okay. And, you know, I basically did some cinematography. I made it look like the knob closed with, you know, some stop action, like video shots and like made it like snapshot and pitched it to this company, totally MVP'd it, like scrapped together. This thing had no idea how to build it and pitched to the company. Company just loved it. A couple of them did. So we got in talks and it got to be, three or four weeks down the road. And they said, all right, if you can build this thing, we'll pay 5%. That really like ignites a fire underneath you because you look at it and say, all right, they sell all over North America. And if they're giving me a dollar per unit, I'm going to make quite a bit of money. And so I'm, I'm a big advocate of the MVP, put it together to the point where they can understand it and get excited about it. Once you get them excited about it, then you figure out everything else. Okay. Were you pitching the grill manufacturers or the the propane tank people? Grill manufacturers. Okay. <laughs> That's another part I guess I'm skipping out on. Put together a pitch or a, a presentation so that they understand it, a sell sheet or a video, a little 30 to 60 second video demonstrating the product. Then you call up the grill manufacturers and you just ask them, hey, do you guys look at new products? Yes, no, you do. All right, wonderful. Here, here's my information. Let me know if you like it. Okay, just calling like the general number that's on their website? Yep, 1-800-CUSTOMER-SERVICE sometimes. Sometimes their headquarters. I like their headquarters better. Sometimes they only have customer service, so you just ask for the headquarters number from customer service. Okay, and then they put you in touch with the product development team or something? Mm-hmm, yep. Okay. This is fascinating stuff, David. Anything else that we, that we ought to know to uh, exercise our creative muscles? So the way that I narrow it down is through... The first first step is excitement. You know, am I excited about it? There's certain things that I now, after being in the business for a while, look for. It's a market size. Is that market expanding or contracting? And those are kind of the first little check boxes that I go through. And once I take it down to a list of five to ten, then I'll do research and let the research determine 
And this is another thing for successful products that I see is everybody thinks they need to invent outside the box and that they need these super creative products. But the success doesn't lie on these completely outrageous ideas. They lie on the edge of the box, at least with licensing. That's where a lot of success is, is if you're blowing the norm off of the existing products, then companies get uncomfortable because they can't calculate their success. And so innovate on the edge of the box. But I guess to get back to your original question, how do I narrow it down? I do it emotionally and then I do research to start to see, all right, is this in line with where the market's going? Is there a lot of companies here and is it expanding? Yes, yes, yes. Then I'll continue to pursue it more where I do the more full on patents, then start to protect and market and pitch after that. Okay. Fair enough. Think at the edge of the box, think uh, evolution and maybe not revolution, at least uh, right at the beginning. Yeah, I love that. Evolution, not revolution. <laughs> Very cool. David, thank you so much for joining me. It's inventright.com. And you can check out the episode we did with Stephen Key uh, last year for more information on licensing and, and product pitching and all this stuff. And definitely check out the all new licensing lifestyle podcast. You can find that at inventright.com. David, let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. Start small. It's that incremental improvement. If you come in thinking you're going to bench 300 pounds, you're, you're going to get lost in your desire to dream bigger than what you're able to at that time. And so know what your big goal is, but look at incremental improvements to get to that big goal. Absolutely. Starts with exercising that creative muscle. Make it like David's three ideas a day. Make it one idea a day. Just make that commitment and see if you can come up with that big list. Something's going to excite you. and Something hopefully is going to excite a company as well and give you that 5% royalty on an ongoing basis. David, thank you so much. And we'll uh, catch up with you soon. All right. Thank you, Nick. Once again, you can find David at inventright.com and you can find Stosh at stoshsports.com. Again, that's Stosh like stash, S-T-A-S-H. Uh, stashsports.com and lacelocker.com. But not to be left out, I also asked her for her number one tip, and this is what she had for us. Always bear in mind that persistence is king. If the answer isn't obvious, ask the question in a different way. Persistence is king. Ask the question in a different way. Stosh, thank you so much for joining me. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you so much, Nick. Take care, buddy. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com. And I've got a phone-in testimonial for you this week from Andy McCabe, who runs a consulting business helping people with their insurance claims at ClaimsDelegates.com. FreshBooks really delivered. I've been a paying member since 2012. It's really become an integral part of everything that I do. All my invoices go out via FreshBooks. All my payments come in via FreshBooks. I like the payment options. You can do PayPal. You can do Stripe. You can do a bank check. It makes it really easy to get invoices paid. I like the Zapier and Streak integrations. I've got uh, several integrations set up with Zapier, and this one just makes it so much nicer to start a job in in my Streak box and automatically creates a FreshBooks job that I can start logging time to, which is amazing. Very, very happy with FreshBooks. Keep hustling, y'all.
Well, there you have it. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to try FreshBooks completely free for 30 days. All right, my top takeaways from this chat with Stosh and David. Number one, if you want to make a killer product or service, find a killer problem. This idea isn't anything new, but I really like how Stosh framed it there. And that's the cool thing. We face problems all day, every day, and every one of those is a potential business idea. Takeaway number two is that creativity is a muscle, and you can strengthen yours with practice, just like David did, by forcing himself to come up with new ideas every day. Make it a habit, make it a micro habit, and it doesn't just have to be for physical products. It could be for service ideas, t-shirt ideas, whatever you're interested in, but you can strengthen that muscle every day. And takeaway number three is creativity still takes action if you want to get paid. That means doing the minimum viable product thing, pitching companies, and getting out of your comfort zone to try and turn your idea into reality. By doing it this way, before you invest a ton of time or money into it, I think you're going to be able to find out in a hurry whether that's in demand, whether that's something that's going to be worth pursuing or not. So uh, it still takes action if you want to ring that cash register. So those are my takeaways. Be sure to hit up sidehustlenation.com slash creative for all the notes and links from this episode. And while you're there, you'll be able to download the free PDF highlight reel from these conversations with Stosh and David. If you like what you're hearing on the Side Hustle Show, do me a solid and hit the subscribe button in your podcast player app to make sure you never miss an episode. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show where you'll meet a mother of 10 who escaped an abusive relationship to build a pretty serious online business all around the topic of baking the perfect sourdough bread. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. Is there a more dreaded question than what's for dinner? Meal planning and eating well to hit your nutrition goals doesn't have to be complicated. Our sponsor, Factor, makes it easy by sending delicious, ready-to-eat, chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals right to your door. Every week, you've got over 35 different menu options to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan and veggie options, and more. Some personal favorites of ours so far have been the garlic mushroom chicken thighs and the Indian butter tofu. These are restaurant-quality meals ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. It's the perfect easy button solution for busy side hustlers and couples. And it's not just dinner either. Factor has nutrient-packed snacks, smoothies, breakfasts, and more. And hey, plans change, which is why you can scale up or down your meals or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash sidehustle50 and use code sidehustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while your subscription is active. That's code sidehustle50 at factormeals.com slash sidehustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. Big thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show.